Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 44 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Thank you for sticking with me through a little extended break as I get things back in order. Uh, things are going really well for me. I'm actually really happy, and uh, I'm not going to go into depth on that here. My understanding from recent conversations I've seen on Reddit and elsewhere is that people don't really like when you take a long time getting into the meat of the episode. So I'm thinking I'm going to put out a behind-the-scenes kind of little blurb next week and, and see how that goes over. Uh, so I, that's part of why I kept the podcast on Thursday is so that I can put that out early in the week and see maybe if that's something I want to do regularly. Uh, but this week, we have a movie again. We're back in action, uh, and we are looking at 1991's Disney's Beauty and the Beast, the animated version, not the live action version. And this was a real treat to revisit, even though it might not strike you as a movie people have not seen. It still ends up being a fantastic conversation. And I, I almost didn't revisit it for the podcast, something that I talk about in the interview. Uh, the guest this week is Hem Cleveland. Uh, she comes to us through the Be a Future Guest section of the website. If you go over to havenotseenthis.podbean.com, you click the Be a Future Guest button and you can set yourself up and let me know what movie you want to talk about. Or you can just email me, havenotseenthis at gmail.com and uh, get yourself set up as a future guest. So this is someone who took that route and was really happy to sit down and chat with her about Beauty and the Beast, and I feel like we had a really great conversation, a great note to return back to regular podcasting with. Uh, so here we go with this week's conversation about 1991's Disney's Beauty and the Beast. So you, you've got me really jealous right from the get-go when you submitted to come on the show because you're a, a British woman uh, who's living in Iceland. I am. Yeah. And I love <laughs> England. Like I, my, my greatest accomplishment so far was my trip, my vacation in London. And I would love to see Iceland. Like it's next on my list. It, it's a really beautiful place. Um, I moved here for love. So I didn't oh. come for the beauty and the, and the community, but like, like I can look out my, my window or at my front door and I can say, I can see a theater which is the volcano that exploded a, a couple of years back. Um, erupted. I shouldn't be using exploded. They, they hate it when I say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they get really unhappy as if they make the choice that the volcano was going to erupt. Um, yeah, so I can see that from like my front room door. Like It's ridiculous, um, and oh. it's so pretty. And the community here is just, they've been really good to me. Um, and yeah, it's just it's a really beautiful place. I highly recommend coming, coming and having a look uh, when you're able to, you know, because flying, quarantine, all this good stuff. Right. I'm I'm in the United States. We're not allowed to go anywhere right now. Yeah. Let alone London or Iceland. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know how long that will last, but it, it's probably going to be a while. And and uh, I I feel your pain. Um, that's I, that's rough. I, I, I suspect it will last uh, another six months or another four years, depending on how the election goes. Yeah, yeah, that, that could be pretty, pretty bad. So you moved to Iceland for love. I did. I did. Uh, my partner is Icelandic. Um, he comes from a small island off of Iceland called um, Vestmanair. And yeah, I decided to come live with him here. So that's that's, that's 
<laughs> so sweet. <laughs> we we actually met through another podcast. Uh, I said, like, I think just before we started doing this, when I was showing you the ridiculously foamed up room in here, we're both, we both do voice acting and we met on a podcast called The White Vault and also on Dark Dice is when we actually started talking and then we did a live show and it all sort of spiraled from there, really. Oh, that's awesome. That's oh, live shows back when those were a thing, too. Ah, <laughs> uh, I remember. I can at least say I've performed off off Broadway in New York. And then that's all I'll have to ever have to say about that. I've done the one thing in my life where I could be like, yeah, I did that. And now I don't have to worry about it not being a dream I can achieve. <laughs> You're actually the second guest I've had uh, on who can say that. Um, one of my friends who I had on early on in the podcast run did a show off off Broadway and I didn't realize it at the time. I went, I dr- went up to New York to to see his play, and he just shared with me within the last six months that at the time he was doing that play, right across the alley from where he was, there was this musical being put together, and it was Hamilton. Nah. <laughs> and Blimey. obviously he didn't get to go see it because he was on stage, but I was in New York. I was like right across the alley from this theater putting, <laughs> you know, from Lin-Manuel Miranda and all of that. And I'm like, I wish I hadn't known that now because. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now is it, is it Disney Plus that you can watch Hamilton? Like, I think that's the only way that, especially now living in Iceland, I'm never going to see anything in English again. <laughs> it's right. just on the streaming networks. Like, <laughs> That's now, it for you, me. Do you speak the the native language, or is it just something? Uh, no, I speak bad Icelandic, and I speak it evilly because I don't know the proper word for bad when you have to put it in a different context. Um, so I speak. <laughs> I speak a little. I know enough to say how much it costs to come into the place that I work at. I know how to say no. Um, yeah, I know bits and pieces here and there, and I'm getting much better at pronunciation. But it is a very different language to wrap your tongue around, um, like from the native English speaking or even German. They have a lot of sounds that are very different. So they have letters like this and, and thought and like, yeah, it's a sound. I, I can't make it properly unless I'm saying a word. Um, right. It's like beatboxing in the middle of a sentence. It's very difficult to wrap your head around. And compared to English, they have um, like three genders. Uh, for all the words, and all the words are affected by whatever the pr- whatever the nouns gender is, and that also affects the numbers and whether you use what kind of you or they or he or she or it's it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't ad- adjust well to new languages. Um, I just okay. I've never been very good at picking those up, so I, I'm sure it would be a nightmare for me. <laughs> It it is rough. I'm not gonna lie. It's been very difficult, but uh, at least I'm I'm getting there. I understand your skill more than I speak Yigtala. So I found your movie selection really interesting um, because you picked Beauty and the Beast, which we'll get into here in a second. But y- you know, you you also introduced yourself as you're a, a podcast or you're a you're a voice artist. So do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, sure. Um, so I kind of do two kind of types of voice uh, of uh, like podcasting. So I'm a voice actor in a variety of things. Um, I've already mentioned one already, uh, The White Vault. I've also done a couple of uh, Fallen Scholars, other projects uh, like Liberty and whatnot. Um, I've also been guests on other people's podcasts, like I've been on Mars Fall somewhere. 
I've also done um, <laughs> back when being allowed to be out and sociable was a thing. Um, I did voice <laughs> for a ghost, uh, like a walking ghost tour. So put headsets on and it talks you around. And I was a lot of the ghosts and almost all of the screaming on that um, exclusively, actually. Uh, <laughs> so I've, I've, I've done a lot of that and I really enjoy voice acting. Um, and I've done audio books in line with that as well. But I also do other podcasts. Um, I run... I'm involved a lot in the actual play podcasts. Um, I run and produce a podcast called The Lucky Die, where I am basically the games mistress. It's running a game with my buddies who all live in America, and then uh, my partner joined us later, so hence Iceland. Um, (laughs) And it's like writing a story, but instead of saying, Tom turns left, I tell Tom that there are three lefts, and he decides to turn right. Um, That's very much like the actual play world of telling a story um and it's it's a nightmare i'm also a player i'm also the other side of the table in a podcast called dark dice and i've just been on stubborn heroes so yeah i i do i do a little bit of this a little bit of that um it's it's fun i don't edit because i'm not crazy and our editor on trd on the lucky die is amazing so i'm not gonna mess with that (laughs) they're just they're too good (laughs) yeah i've messed a little bit or I, i should i guess i've dabbled a little bit in um voice acting for another podcast one that i i've done and one that is a forthcoming project that we're still kind of waiting on final details for um i've actually recorded quite a bit for it it just hasn't come out yet (laughs) but it's it's a lot of fun doing that kind of thing yeah um did did you do it so that you had like lines sent you and then you read them or did you do like a live read or were you directed how how did your experience of that work out uh, it, it, they sent us, it, it's almost like it's an audio book. So they sent us chapters. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we discerned our lines out of that. And I, I had expected some more direction than I got. So I like, I would record it and I would send them the file going, Hey, if you know, you want anything read a different way, or you want me to do something in particular, just let me know. And I would get back, you know, this is great. So yeah. either I'm really good at making decisions or <laughs> that's just not <laughs> how they work, which is fine either way. It just was, yeah. it was an interesting experience for me. Yeah. I, I like, I I've done, I've done like stage acting, not professionally. I'm not, I'm not that good. Um, I have a face for radio as my dad said, hence why I do podcasts. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I'm like, from when I started doing acting stuff, I was very used to having a director choreograph every little move. How right. do I raise my eyebrow? Like what intonation of voice I chose? Um, not a lot was left down to chance unless I had like really, really good directors and they like, go nuts and just gave me a little cues. The voice acting world for podcasts, I've generally just had, yeah, good job, thumbs up, or that was totally shite, do the whole thing again. Um, <laughs> so I kind of get one extreme or the other. Um, funnily enough, though, with uh, The White Vault, I didn't know the character I play is actually a person. I thought that they were just the voice of the story introducing lost footage. Nope, she she is a real person and now I have to develop a character for her. And I'm just like, guys, I need help. <laughs> so, <laughs> so rather than just receiving the lines and reading them now, I get like a mixture of both because I still have like the um, introducing a thing, which I can do very easily because it's very monotonous and I've got that down to a pat. That's that's a character I worked on. Um, and then the other one is like, yeah, I need live direction for this. I don't know what you want. <laughs> that tends to be the way that voice acting is. You either get a lot or a little. Um, it would be nice to see somewhere a little bit between the two. Yeah, yeah. All right, so the podcast is Have Not Seen This, where we talk about movies people are surprised people have not seen. What are your Have Not Seen This movies? What are movies you get flack over having not seen? Oh, blimey. Um, so it's super difficult, because moving moving to Iceland, um, 
most of the movies I haven't seen. They haven't seen here either, so I don't get as much flack as I used to. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the solution. If people are giving you a hard time about not having seen enough movies, move you to just a non-English speaking. Yeah, exactly. Move <laughs> to a non-English speaking country. Um, blimey. Um, the thing is, I, I kind of have seen a lot of completely random movies. I haven't necessarily seen them the whole way through. Um, like, I think it's Super Troop, Space Troopers. Oh, damn it, what are they called? Super Troopers? No, uh, maybe. I don't I don't remember. Fudge. <laughs> I, I know one line in it and the line is uh how did how did you get so close by being a sneaky uh, by being a sneaky bastard sir i don't remember what movie that is and i haven't <laughs> seen it the whole way through but i love it <laughs> and it's one of those movies that i keep catching bits of and i'm like damn it i've missed the whole thing again um <laughs> that's a really tough one <laughs> no worries all right well we're here today to t- talk about your pick which is 1991's disney's animated beauty and the beast directed by gary trousdale and kirk wise written by linda wolverton with a lot of story by credits but based on the original fairy tale by gabrielle suzanne barbeau de villeneuve starring robbie benson jesse cordy rex everhart angela lansbury Paige o'hara jerry orbach david ogden steers and richard white yes that's the one <laughs> <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures presents its all-new 30th full-length animated motion picture. Is anyone here? Mama, there's a girl in the castle. Good. A girl. The classic story of Beauty and the Beast. He was a lonely beast, cursed by a mysterious spell. And she was the beautiful young girl who could set him and his kingdom free. She's the one. She has come to break the spell. They were two complete opposites. Anything to do with him. She is being so difficult. Until something wonderful happened. There's something sweet. Straighten up. And almost kind. Show me the smile. But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined. And now he's dear. You look so... And so unsure. Stupid. I wonder why I didn't see it there before. It's a story filled with fun. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Adventure. Sacre bleu. And dozens of wonderful new Disney characters. Keep it down. Featuring six new songs from the Academy Award-winning composer and lyricist of The Little Mermaid. This holiday season, share the fun, the magic, and the music of an entertainment event you'll never forget. Disney's Beauty and the Beast. So how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell someone on wanting to see this movie? I I tend to, like, I'm, I'm lucky that most people have, like, I didn't get into movies. Like, I had a... I had a slightly odd upbringing, so I didn't really get into movies as my teenager. So everybody had already seen these. But for me, Beauty and the Beast was one that I did see. So for me, it's like, this is my childhood movie. You need to see this because it has a very kick-ass woman in it. And the gender roles are swapped in most places, but not in other places. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, tragic, and also strange, twisted variant on, like, traditional fairy tales and it has a singing candelabra in it you have to watch this um 
I love that you go with all these thematic elements and then throw in the, the singing candelabra at the end. <laughs> the singing candelabra, not only does it have like a singing teapot, and it, which is kind of funny because it's old teapots on the kettle used to like scream and whistle and that was singing. Um, right. But also because like <laughs> the funniest thing I found rewatching it again today actually was the idea that they have like perfectly formed teacups in the cupboard and then yes. there's Chip. And then like, there's Chip. <laughs> and then there's Chip. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sure. So uh, why this movie, and you may have just kind of answered this, but why Beauty and the Beast as your choice to talk about on the podcast? Because, like, especially, like, I watched it first off and obviously, like, a you know, younger kid and I was happy with the colors and because the, the colors and, like, the theming in this is just amazing. They did a st- spectacular job on it. Like, there's that, and that to me as a kid drew it. There were funny slapstick moments in it between uh, Cogsworth and Lumiere, and I always found that funny. The dad character was also just, like, made me laugh a lot. Gaston is just such a deplorable... Can I swear? Yeah, absolutely. Deplorable asshole. Um, but it's just, it's funny to watch, like, just a villain that you are allowed to just hate. You just, you can just hate him. And as a kid, I found that fun. And also, I very much identified with Belle. I was a bit of a fish out of water. I had a bit of a, a bit of a weird upbringing. Um, I didn't really fit in with the kids at school. I liked books a lot, which is definitely a thing for Belle in this movie. <laughs> so, like, I identified very hard. And she had a really good relationship with her dad, which I, I did as well at the time. So it was just like, yeah, all these cool things in there. And it's a girl kicking ass. And she beats away a wolf with a stick. I'm like, yes. So for me as a girl, like as a kid, I was like, yes this this is golden as i've gotten up i just realized how like the themes the deeper things you don't see as kids you know the things that keep the adults entertained mm-hmm. they're just there like i watched it again today like uh with with my partner and it was just like damn there are some like solid storytelling moments in here there like, are this is yeah like th- that's why i started off with the theming if i was sending this to kids i'd be like yeah there's a there's a clock and a candlestick and there's a dog who's also a footstool um so yeah there are other ways to sell this to kids but to adults like holy crap this is this is also just got such like layers in it i guess um yeah i almost <laughs> broke my own rule with this one because I, i've seen this movie so many times when i when i was a teacher i would show it as like an example of archetypal elements and and mm-hmm. archetypal narrative because this is the Disney movie personified, like it's beat for beat kind of how Disney does things. So I would use it as an example. So I've seen it like easily a dozen times. So I almost didn't rewatch it for the podcast just because I had it in my head. And when I got up this morning, I was like, no, I, that's, that's doing a disservice. And I had forgotten so much. Um, just, just finally sitting down and watching it and, and, and exactly the same thing you said. Like I just caught on to stuff that I had missed before and like how just absolutely breathtaking the animation can be in spots. Like when it first transitions to bell in the village, right at the beginning yeah. of, of, you know, her opening song, it the, the animation is just gorgeous. Yeah. Like the, um, like they start off like the, if you haven't seen it, spoilers, um, the animation starts off as stained glass windows yes. and that is a motif is amazing. And the voiceover is the same guy who does the voice for Cogsworth, which right. I didn't know until I looked up the credits today. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, David, David Stiers does the, does the narrator and then also Cogsworth. And then this begins, like he does like the next eight Disney movies. Yeah. Like he has that amazing like intro voice. I thought it was uh, someone else, the guy that, um. He's kind of also like the frame set and the narrator for James and the Giant Peach. And I thought it was the same guy, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, he just has that really good, deep, like masculine, gravelly, old worldy storyteller voice. And it's amazing. I'm like, 
I am so jealous. I cannot pull that off. <laughs> and, and it's funny that you that you describe it that way, which which is dead on. But most people, especially up to the point that this movie came out in 1991, most people knew him as Charles Winchester on the TV show MASH. And there he played this very kind of whiny type character. And so his voice was very different than it appears as either character here. Mm, like clearly a very talented voice actor. Oh, he was um, amazing. He was amazing. Yeah. So like the, the opening of that is just, yeah, the stained glass windows with him narrating basically the prologue. So we don't have to watch awkward scenes. Um, and the prologue is beautifully delivered. And then it transitions into actual animation and it's bright and cheerful. The village has a certain like color tone to it. There's not really much in the way of blues because that's specifically for like Belle and for um, uh, the beast. I'm going to call him Steve because I really don't like calling him the beast. <laughs> 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 Running Joko. <laughs> um, so yeah, like they had that beautiful, like different colors. And then it transitions again to when like the, the castle is like, or where they're going through the forest, it becomes a very muted, dull kind of grayishy brown color. And then it transitions again to where the palette is kind of that really cold blue of the castle. Yeah. Um, which I didn't notice again until I, I watched it today. I'm like, yeah, there's a definite like palette shift between certain scenes and certain tones and they nail it. And I very yeah. much understand why when they did like the promo or whatever it was that they felt that they, um, they premiered when they were like, here's just a bit of the movie you can watch why it was the dance scene in the ballroom, because that animation is beautiful. There are like very cinematic tracking shots in it. And it does amazing things where they just go around with like her, the like, kind of like the bottom of her dress where it covers the screen so they can change, um, change the camera. Not that there isn't an animation, but it feels very much like that. Like they have it spot on for all of this movie. Like I couldn't find a thing in here that I hated at all. Yeah. Now you, you did mention, you know, why, why this is your choice. You did specifically want to do the animated version. I have not seen any of the live action adaptations Disney has done of their animated films. Um, but you, but you did say the live action version has, you said one redeeming quality over the animated film. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I was discussing this with a buddy of mine because um, we were talking about Beauty and the Beast completely separate from this. This wasn't anything, well, I wasn't prepping or anything, but uh, <laughs> my buddy and I were talking about Beauty and the Beast and how the only thing I like about the new movie is, an is one additional song. And also because I forgot that the Beast didn't did actually sing in the animated one. I thought he didn't. Um, but he does. But that was kind of cheating because they recorded it after they had actually produced the thing and realized that something didn't work. So they got them to voice, voice back over again. Um, but the, uh, the, the live action show added a song called Evermore, which is where the Beast is singing about watching Belle run away watching her leave, go back to her father. He's released her from being a prisoner. Um, so like that whole thing is down and it's basically that sad moment when you do something for someone else, even though it's really going to hurt you. And that song, because I didn't expect it. They had all the other ones in there and they were all okay. Uh, they weren't great. <laughs> they were okay. Some of them veered towards really bad, but they were okay. But this song just blew me out of the water. Like the delivery was perfect. The tone was amazing. And if this was in the animated version, then like this would, the, 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 the live action would have literally nothing over the animated. <laughs> That's fascinating because that's one of my favorite moments in the animated film uh, when he releases Belle and mm -hmm. watches her ride off. And you have this what I've always described as kind of the war, the mournful wail of a beast denied, you know, yes. that, that he lets out that scream. And it's just so heartbreaking like that rewatching it today. That was one of my notes that I made was when he releases her. 
tears from me. Now, admittedly, tears from me is not a very hard thing for a movie to accomplish, (laughs) especially a Disney film. But that was the moment that just really choked me up was when he releases her. Yeah, it's literally that whole like section where like from after they've done the dancing and she's like, I really want to see my father. And he takes her to the mirror and to the rose and doesn't explain what the rose is. Nobody tells her what this spell is. And we as the audience know what this means for him to let her go. And she doesn't know what it means, but she's still thankful. She still tries to give back the mirror. She still says she still has her, her manners. She was this please and thank you. And she reaches out for him. And I was like, oh, my God, that means so much to him. And he's still letting her go. And she she knows nothing about this. And right. that like watching that again today, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not sure I'd have the strength to do what he's doing. I would want to go with. But he knows that he can't for whatever reason. It's like, oh, my God, that's 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 love right there. That one scene. That's love. That's amazing. <laughs> so my history with this movie is kind of a weird one because I didn't like it when I first saw it. Um, and, and there's a reason behind that, uh, because it kind of ties in actually with the movie, ironically enough. Uh, I didn't like it when I first saw it because I was being a bit of a petulant child because my family went to the movie theater and I really wanted to see Hook, uh, which was in theaters <laughs> at the same time. And yep. my sisters outvoted me two to one to go see Beauty and the Beast. So that wasn't the movie that I wanted to see. And therefore I was opposed to seeing it. So... Mm-hmm. Like, I remember walking out of the theater going, if I had been in the mood for that movie, I really would have liked it, but I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I have seen Hook the whole way through. One of the one of the movies that I have as a child. Um, I can understand why. Um, Beauty and the Beast is definitely, I think I mentioned this actually um, a little bit earlier, it's definitely a flip of those gender roles um, that they it tend is. to have in um, within Disney, which is like, you know, the the male Prince Charming comes to save the female who is under a spell. This is completely the other way around. Um, right. And I, I like that. I really enjoy that. So it's definitely going from a very boy-centric movie, if you want me to put it like that. I enjoy the hell out hook. Don't think I'm thinking that. To something very girl orientated. I can understand why the irritation would come there. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, we, my family got it on VHS when it came out on VHS and I fell in love with it and I've owned it on DVD and of course now Disney plus. Um, so it's, it's definitely a favorite film, but I just, Mm. I I find it interesting that the reason I didn't like it at first was because as I said, I was kind of being a petulant child and that connects with the movie because why is this whole story going on? Well, he's a petulant child who turns away this stranger at his door. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's literally the setup for this movie. Is and I don't know how long he's supposed to have been in this like state. How old he was when he turns this um, the elderly crone away? But, well, that's one um, of the things my... I wanted to chat with you about <laughs> because <laughs> the rose going by just what we have in the movie. So using the movie as a text and just mm-hmm. going by the text, what we are told is the rose will lose its last petal basically when he turns twenty-one. Mm-hmm. And Lumiere says in Be Our Guest, he has a line that says, for 10 years, we have been rusting, needing so much more than dusting, which means that the kid was old, right? He was 11 years old when he turned this woman away and he gets cursed and everybody in the castle gets cursed for his 11 year old behavior. Where are his parents? (laughs) (laughs) He's 10 years old, answering the door to a stranger when he has servants who are way older than him that can deal with this. Where are his parents? 
Um, yeah, there are there are some things about this movie which are definitely question marks, but um, yeah, that is that's definitely one of them. <laughs> and you know who who is the same person that they that today that they are when they were ten years old? I'm thankfully not. Um, I'm a lot taller than I was at ten, so that super helps, and I can drive a car now. Uh, <laughs> so like we change a lot between being ten and being however old we are now. Um, so yeah, like that's it's a big change. Um, so the premise of this movie is uh, definitely very fairy tale. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I mean that that was one of the notes I, I wrote down was you know it, it, she turns him into a beast. She turns all the inhabitants of the castle into these magical creatures. So. Mm-hmm. What he does is removes himself from society. He blocks himself off. That's why he can't go with Belle when she goes to save her dad is because he has isolated himself. He knows that if he goes out in the world, he'll be seen as this freak, as this beast. How is he supposed to become a better person and fix the curse <laughs> if he's yeah. forced to isolate himself away? So it's yeah, it's very fairy tale in that. And there are other theories out there saying, you know, w- w- one of them I read said, you know, that he had the 10 years we've been rusting was that he had cut off like using the staff for several years and that he was older when he got cursed and Lumiere is referring to they haven't been servants for a decade but not that they've been trapped in these forms and of course you always have the chip argument which is if they've been in these forms for 10 years where did chip come from or was he locked in time you know is that how old he was when he was transformed and in that case then the prince should be 11 see, still when he comes see, back so yeah see this is this is kind of funny to me um it's like the whole like weird timeline thing that is kind of kind of not going on here unless of course if they are actually locked in time then we know that the prince it were like you know he may have been you know much older right when he was frozen in time like yeah they could have literally spent the last 10 years just trying to deal with him and then being stuck like this like we don't really know how long it is and i know that in the live action movie they try to address this a little bit by saying you know people have forgotten things um like he's actually not allowed to leave the castle grounds which is never stated in the weird curse thing that i think the the old crone gives to him right um so yeah there are some odd little bits that don't make sense but um they actually took out a song called um, Human Again. Yes. Which I, I understand because it, it's, I, I watched it when it didn't have it in and I watched it with it in. I'm like, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I understand why that one was cut, but they actually cut it because of it would introduce a time issue. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough, because in that sequence, like uh, Cogsworth talks about only having a certain amount of hours to make the perfect romantic atmosphere and then they get to be human again. But of course, in that singular night, they have the dance. Belle goes home and finds her father, gets thrown into a jail, then everybody goes back to the castle. And then Belle makes it back to the castle in time for the big fight before midnight, which is his 21st birthday. Like, yeah, we can't have that scene saying how many hours and days and whatever it is left. Like, this just does not make sense anymore. So I understand where they took it out. But, like, watching it inserted back into the movie again, I'm like, now I understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the song, but I totally understand removing it from the movie. As yeah. a song, I, I really enjoyed it. But it, you're right. It kind of disrupts the narrative a bit by having it in there. 
Yeah, by not specifically stating days or times or anything like that, it can be a little bit more like loosey-goosey with the timeline. So you can say that this scene, yeah, yeah, just in your mind, it took like three months to get between them, like having the big fight and then, you know, having the next big fight, you know, like you can you can separate them out a lot more if you don't mention specific times. <laughs> All right, let me look at the critical view of this for just a second, um, bring in some quotes that we may want to hit on or we may not want to. Um, it sits at 94 94- percent at Rotten Tomatoes, so it's very well mm-hmm. uh, accepted. Uh, 95% at Metacritic. It was the first animated movie nominated for Best Picture Oscar. It lost to Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs. It was of the course. first animated movie to win the Best Picture Golden Globe. Uh, mm-hmm. And then bringing in positive and negative reviews, I always try to use Roger Ebert. He is our positive review this week. And he wrote, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast slipped around all my roadblocks and penetrated directly into my strongest childhood memories in which animation looked more real than live action features. Watching the movie, I found myself caught up in a direct and joyous way. I wasn't reviewing an animated film. I was being told a story. I was hearing terrific music and I was having fun. Yeah. Um, on the negative side, Dessen Howe for the Washington Post, the only negative review on the top critics of Rotten Tomatoes, said mm-hmm. Beast isn't one of the all time greats. In fact, it feels like the Little Mermaid with fur. The songwriting team of Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who enlivened Mermaid, have been brought back, but theirs is a lackluster encore. The scenes, characters, and songs attempt to duplicate the success of Mermaid all too obviously. The wit and the music aren't nearly as good. Of course, such formulaic maneuvering will be lost on most youngsters. There are enough Disney injections in Beast to ensure a pleasant enough experience for them. <laughs> so any thoughts on those? Uh, uh, I'm guessing whoever reviewed it back in the day talking about going around their roadblocks were clearly way older than I was when I first watched this movie. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, whereas for the, the, the other person describing the kind of formulaic um, and Disney interjections, yes. Yeah, it's, it's there. There are some things that are still glaringly uh, yeah, still glaringly Disney. And, you know, some of the characters aren't particularly well fleshed out and some parts of this movie aren't particularly well thought out either. As as an adult watching some of this, I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm not sure that would be a thing. And that's very tropey even back in, back in you know, when this came out. But it doesn't stop it from being a really good ass story. Yeah. And, and as I said, you know, I would show it in my classes as kind of an example of archetypal narrative. So I totally agree that it is, it is Disney to a T, but Mm -hmm. I still really enjoyed it. And I wouldn't take things away from that because of that. Like I, 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 and I agree with you, there are definitely problematic elements. There's a couple I do want to chat about, but I, I love it. I still think it's a fantastic movie. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's like saying, Oh, this has, going to a massage and saying they do the same things in the same places yeah but that doesn't stop it being a good massage like (laughs) (laughs) you can still enjoy some of the tropes if they do them well like yes they're gonna be there let's have them um yeah and this 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 hits some of those beats like ridiculously well and i don't feel like it's aged that much i mean to be fair it was set way back into past in in france so like they're not gonna it, it was already out of time by not being in the present so it's not gonna date as much and it doesn't feel dated watching out we watched the remaster version uh, earlier today and it just looks beautiful because they kept all their originals so it's easy for them to keep upping the quality again and it, it tells it's a very beautiful looking movie the storytelling is paced then nothing here feels slow um at least it didn't feel slow to me no no in fact i was 
I, I remember thinking, well, it's not that long of a movie, and then looking and it's got a ninety minute runtime, yeah. which isn't th- which isn't that long. But I was like, well, that's you know okay. But it it just speeds by. It's yeah, so like, it's so well paced. Yeah, it's beautifully paced. There's always something going on. There's always something relevant happening in the foreground, and there's always usually always something interesting happening in in the background if there is a background part of the scene um right. like for example oh what the hell is his name lafu he is always doing stuff in the background there is always something going on where lafu <laughs> is there in the background um and even when they take those shots where they pan out especially at the beginning of the movie where the, uh, she's walking through the town like there is always things going on in the background there are like a thousand babies falling out of a woman's arm there's a man looking sad with the bread um when uh, <laughs> gaston is trying to follow bell through the crowd you can see him in the animation in the background trying to make his way and getting stopped at every turn which right. i thought was really funny <laughs> oh yeah yeah so actually that's a good transition because you you already mentioned him in your kind of how you would sell this yeah. movie but let's talk about gaston for a second um gaston. because he is quite possibly one of my all-time favorite disney villains he is and i know that a lot of people have like said in any other movie gaston would be the hero i'm sorry no gaston is an asshole from the beginning of this movie right to the end um he comes in pompous his it's it's very much um between him and the beast they're a really good contrast because gaston is the obsession of love and he's in it just because and he has this idea in his brain and he never learns or grows like his anger like uh of being rejected his wallowing which the beast does as well beast also wallows except that gaston has people around him who will continue to encourage the negative aspects of all of that kind of stuff and so he just gets worse and worse and worse and he has a lot of anger related issues which includes stabbing a guy in the back um (laughs) whereas yeah and then the beast he has those anger issues but every time he does you can see that he is trying to learn and when he's realized what hurt he's caused he tries to amend it he tries to make up for it but gaston never does because gaston is just just a dick you will be my wife um right, <laughs> i he has the, proposed he, to her right he yeah. has the whole wedding ceremony set up yeah. and goes oh i guess i better go in and propose to the bride yeah it's like, like who does that is this nobody <laughs> should be doing that what is wrong with you I, I find one of the things you said, though, I find really interesting, the obsession of love. I don't even think he's obsessed with love. I think it's just mm. another trophy for him to hang on his wall. Yeah, exactly. Like his obsession in this moment is I will have Belle for my wife. He makes that very clear from the beginning of the movie. And that's right. actually the only thing he cares about. Like he wants a wife. He wants a family. But that love part is just not in there. It's just obsession with getting that like tick i'm a successful person like is married has kids woman like rubbing my feet in which case gross unless she offers it just no right and i i, I love the you you brought up the kids that's like one of my favorite exchanges of you know oh we'll have six or seven of course dogs, dogs? no strapping <laughs> boys like me yeah, i was just <laughs> like i don't think that's like... how genetics or biology works you don't get to no. guarantee that you're going to have six or seven strapping boys even if she was you know accepting of this no, exactly. And and that's uh that's a nope. Um I yeah, there are 
there are like three like solid like there, there are a couple of really solid male archetypes in this movie and he is legitimately the epitome of being an asshole oh yeah it's right up there with you know uh, all the not all the drinking but he is that very butch masculine kind of like will have to he has to tick all the boxes and that includes having nothing but antlers on his wall for decorating does he own that pub by the way right <laughs> <laughs> like what are they doing here but that's I, I, one of the best songs in the movie too it is yeah and um, it's like wait we're singing a song where we're glorifying this asshole this misogynistic yep. bastard gets one yep. of the best songs in the movie about what yep. a jerk he is yeah <laughs> i'm going to derail just slightly um so my podcast we also do uh, we've done singing and stupid shit like that in there and one of our voice actors started writing a little ditty called um dravos which is one of the uh, darker characters in our game and it was set to gaston and we recorded the whole thing and it was the funniest thing we've ever done anyway <laughs> that's how yeah. much i love this song as i could just write it without listening to it i'm like i'm done this is good um, well and despite not liking the movie when i first saw it in the theater again petulant child i did have the soundtrack and it was one of those that i loved listening to my room listening to in my room and singing along with Yep. Except for I don't have the right register to sing Gaston songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a, it's a good song, and as much as it is one of those like mm, you shouldn't really like this because of the content, it is super funny. Um, the animation that goes along with this is absolutely on point. Um, just him biting and at one point he's swallowing eggs and i don't know if they're cooked no I don't they're, know if they're boiled no <laughs> so he's he's swallowing them with the shell on and his voice doesn't change at all because during part of the end of one of his lines the eggs are going down his throat and i thought it was the funniest shit watching it today <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he's just he is the the perfect enemy you know, yeah. for for Belle, because here you have uh, I was reading, you know, one of the reasons that they wanted her so interested in books was to show that she is a smart character, which separates yeah. her from all the Disney princesses that came before her. You know, her defining attribute is intelligence. So Gaston being this boorish disaster is, is like the perfect nemesis for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, like he. <laughs> He has one of my favorite lines in here. Girls shouldn't read books. It means they do things like thinking. Thinking, yes. And you have that <laughs> same thing uh, later on in the, the reprise of Gaston where he says, LeFou, I'm afraid I've been thinking. A dangerous pastime, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's that little callback and refrain. And obviously he's he's against all this because that's not the Times version of what a perfect woman and what a perfect like vision of what his life should be is, is to have a woman who is smart and reads and stuff. However, of course, the Beast then gives her everything. He gives her the library, which is everything she'd ever wanted in life. And he encourages this in her, which we don't see from Gaston because Gaston is an asshole and the Beast, although has anger issues, is at least trying. Um, so I think even from the start, we're always going to be rooting for whoever Gaston is and... <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I found the anti-intellectualism part of the movie really interesting this time through. Yeah. I don't think that's something I'd keyed in on in previous viewings. Um, you know, that's that's she's described in the very beginning song as being strange because she's always reading. Yeah, and that's yeah, and that again doesn't come just from Gaston. This comes from literally everybody else in the town as well. The right. only person that is kind of actively encouraging this is the librarian. 
or and the book, uh, bookstore. Yeah, and her dad. Um, like, dad, am I strange? My daughter, strange? Coming from the inventor who has like these big Google eyes on, which was like, ah, oh, slapstick comedy as a kid. So good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, the only people that are, you know, the only people that are encouraging her are basically everyone who isn't part of this town because it's strange for a girl back then to have been reading. Um, much in our enlightened times, please, everyone should be reading. But back then, that wasn't a thing. So her being interested in smart, intelligent things is just not normal for their times. And literally everybody tells her so. And that makes her feel very much not like part of the town, which is actually what she says to her father. Um, I feel like I don't fit in here. And that exchange between her and her father where you know she's being very honest with him about how she feels not part of this because she is basically smarter than everyone around her um he's like don't worry about it things will figure themselves out and we'll get a new life when this thing works so yeah like now let me ask you because you said her always reading and such was part of what your uh, the appeal of the character was to you was this an Mm -hmm. experience that you had like did you encounter this kind of girls shouldn't be reading or anti-intellectualism or anything like that it was definitely more the anti-intellectualism um so i grew up a bit of a strange kid not gonna lie um and i (laughs) i i didn't read for like the first five or six years um really that i yeah like i just didn't read i also didn't do any maths um i just were not interested in anything intellectual at all like i don't want to do this i just want to play and be sad um but then i went to school and i finally learned how to do numbers and because i was reading the numbers and the timetables and stuff um i then picked up books and after that i never stopped and a lot of the kids were like why are you reading at break why are you reading at lunch why are you reading when you go home it's like because i don't have a tv unlike you i don't have board games so i just had books that's that's all i had there were things i could easily get hold of so i just read and read and read and read and i did that till i was like 13 or 14 and then i discovered tv and then my life changed forever um do you think (laughs) kids viewed you as the strange one because you didn't have a tv and because you read um yes (laughs) 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 that was that was basically it like i didn't have a tv uh like most of the kids uh when i was growing up they either had tv that they could watch a lot or they were always allowed to watch like the like cartoon network or like nickelodeon and stuff my parents were a little bit older and they massively cut down on the tv i was allowed to watch and they tend to watch their things which are a lot of documentaries which is why I, i enjoy intellectual things because i was constantly reading and listening to things about animal planet and like freaking the tectonic plates and stuff so i had a very different upbringing to those people around me and then eventually i managed to save up and buy my own like shitty little black and white tv <laughs> i mean it wasn't even color man <laughs> this is how bad this was i got a black <laughs> and white tv and then yeah <laughs> and then that changed my life forever so <laughs> Hi listeners, I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren, I'm musically challenged. We host a weekly podcast called Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse, where I subject Warren to new musicals every week. It's really broadened my horizons and let me know that just about anything can be made into a musical. Yeah, like a musical starring trains or a musical about Spider-Man. Which I'm still recovering from. Or even a musical about a famous painting. Wait, like, about the artist or about the painting? Yes. I have concerns. Tune in every Wednesday to Tone Deaf.
so one of the things you brought up earlier that I didn't even think about was the contrast between Gaston and his reactions to Bell and then mm -hmm. the Beast and his reactions to Bell. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't even thought about that, that like Gaston was all about the pursuit, whereas the Beast changes. Yeah. Like, strangely enough, the beast who is supposed to, you know, on the, if we just read it, like, read a book by its cover thing, you have, like, the hunter man, you have, like, the man with the gun, um, and he's in pursuit of this thing. And then you have the beast, who is a very much more primal um, kind of hunter and doesn't understand the difference between, like, hunting for pleasure and hunting for survival. Whereas Gaston is clearly supposed to know this. He's, he is supposed to be cultured and humanoid. And it's very much the other way around in this story is that you have someone who is only in it for the chase and doesn't understand anything other than that. And then you have someone who can chase, but realizes that it's not always the best thing to do. So for me, like watching those two side by side is very weird. Like she leaves them both at one point. Like she literally leaves the beast behind. Um, she also tells uh, Gaston no when he proposes and they both wallow in pity for a while. Like Gaston goes to the pub and then like the beast just lets out, you know, that primal cry of, of just disappointment and unhappiness. One is encouraged for all of his negative um, kind of very toxic kind of feel to it. And the other one wallows in self-pity and just keeps looking out the window like a kicked puppy. And it's very, very sad. Um, and he's also realizes that he had done her a great disservice by basically trapping her there and lets her free. Whereas Gaston very much does not do that. His plan is revenge. And how do I make this so by sending her father to a crazy house and the beast sends her after her father. Like they're two like very different sides of the coin. It's very it's very interesting for me to watch it through this time and be very aware that I will know there is a divide between these two. Yeah. Well, and and I love the fact that, you know, the the, the final conflict does come down to the two of them and Beast does not kill Gaston. Gaston mm -hmm. is undone by himself. Yeah. Um <laughs> So Beast has this perfect opportunity to drop him. Right. He has the perfect opportunity to kill him. And if it had not been for his attempt to undo some of this rage that he has to understand that it's not always about like the chase, the kill, the hunt. There is other things at play here. He would have just let him go and he would have been exactly like Gaston. However, this being a Disney movie, our hero cannot kill people in such a manner. Um, so, you know, it works into the story and it works into the storyline. Also very, very, very Disney. So the only way we can get rid of Gascon, Gaston for sure is to have him, you know, accidentally cause his own demise. <laughs> Which, now, again, works really well with the character because he just goes and shanks the beast in the back. <laughs> and they both almost fall. And it is Belle that once again saves the beast in this manner. Right. Now, I was reading there were actually two other variants on Gaston's death. Mm -hmm. um, one was that he stabs the beast and he falls and he survives the fall and he's limping away with a broken leg when the wolves appear. <laughs> and that's how he dies. The other was, and I found this one really interesting and I can see why they didn't go with it, but the other was that he stabs the beast twice and then jumps off because he knows he can't actually win Bell. So he commits oh. suicide. Yeah, I understand why that's not because, uh, yeah, suicide in Disney movies isn't a thing that they want right. to do all that often. And also that gives him some redeeming quality of he cares about her and he doesn't. Right. She's just <laughs> Basically. 
yeah, she's a possession. And by jumping because of realizing that, oh, no, he won't get the love of his life. No, he's an asshole. He doesn't have this. He is just doing this for the chase. He's doing it for that ideal rather than for Belle. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad they didn't go with that third ending. <laughs> so one one bit, bit of trivia, I kind of missed the opportunity to throw in. You know, during the opening number, you have those three girls who are all about yeah. Gaston. They're referred to in the credits as bimbets. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're credited that way in the action movie as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on the flip side, we have Beast. Now, let's let's be absolutely honest. At the point that Beast presents Belle with the gift of the library, she would never leave that room again. Yeah. Like, that's not <laughs> happening. Um, everything from that point would be in that room. And, I guess and she would she was... would think twice when she saw her dad. She'd be like, um, books. <laughs> but he's old. He literally said to me, I've had a good life as he's dragged away. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that'd be my, my own cold harshness happening here. No, um, I, I, I think that they actually talking about her father. They did an amazing job in building that relationship up. Yes. Because that relationship they have, they are supportive of one another. They clearly care about one another. When he talks about, like, you know, there being a handsome man named Gaston, she's like, nah, I don't think so, Dad. And he's like, alrighty then. <laughs> it's going to be cool. That's fine, darling. Uh, whatever you need to do. And he goes, like, once he gets taken back to the town and nobody helps him, he gets all of the stuff and he walks to where she's going to be. Not the horse, because Philippe, Philippe, Philippe? is with Belle and he walks through the cold and the snow and that is dedication and love and the fact that they have this really strong bond between uh, between one another is again one of those reasons that I really connected with that movie I'm very close to my dad and that just that interaction like yeah that would be the one thing that would pull her away from this However, also it might be Stockholm Syndrome and maybe she should be getting out of this situation. And you just took the conversation exactly where I wanted to take it because I wanted to ask you about that interpretation. So for for those who don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, there became a very anti-Disney reading of Disney films. uh, And and one of the things that was accused was that Belle doesn't fall in love with Beast. She's just suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. So I wanted to get your take on that as someone who loves this movie. Um, reading, watching it through as an adult, yes, uh, <laughs> that's that's probably a thing. However, she, as much as yeah, you can do that. The the events of him roaring at her is supposed to happen within like a day or two of her arriving. I think the same they, day, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Like I I read it as the same day, but you know they can do weird things with their own timelines, I guess. But <laughs> I read it as being super close, and you can't, so far as I know, develop Stockholm syndrome after someone has yelled at you for not coming to dinner, not let you have dinner, and then yelled at you for breaking into his apartment. You don't develop Stockholm Syndrome that quickly. <laughs> That's right. a, a little short amount of time. She's just suffered abuse over the last like evening, but she is a good person, and she decides to take him back. Although how she got him on that horse, I will never know. Um, <laughs> he's a big dude, and she is... That horse would bend for no one. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, like, I don't think it could have developed quick enough in that time. But because she has that good nature of, like, he saved my life, I should probably help him. Because, again, him going back to help her is because 
he yelled at her and realized that he'd done a bad um, and right. thought he should try and make it up and thus like saving her in the forest. And I, um, I love that animated moment where she, when he, when he yells at her in the West wing and she flees yeah. and the camera stays on him and yep. he's like all tight and taut and, you know, obviously full of rage and stress. And then suddenly he his shoulders collapse and he puts his hand over his face, realizing yeah. Damn, I fucked up. fucked up. Yeah, it is very much that, oh, damn, I done fucked up look in his face. And him trying to fix that is what saves her life. And then that's why she takes him back, in my opinion, to um, to attend to his wounds. I mean, he did save her life. I mean, there are many events that led to this, and that was mostly Belle's fault, but that's not really the point. I, I get where the Stockholm, like, this is a bad thing, they're not really in love thing comes from, but love grows in the strangest of places. Like it, it just does. Um, yeah, and I've always sometimes... attributed it to exactly what you said about beast changing. Like I yeah. think, I think the the emotion, the connection that they form comes from his transformation, not physically, but internally. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I've always felt like that's what spurs things forward, as opposed to the Stockholm syndrome take on it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, I mean, like when she's tending his wounds and he gets like angry at her she never flinches after that point at him. Like before, like she'd flinch or draw away from her a little bit. The first time she saw him, she was like, <gasps> okay, I'll do it. Um, like, and it's always a bit of that horrible connection between them. There's either like a door between them or there is like, you know, the anger that is clearly there. Um, like there's always something between them up until the point that they go back and just have it out. They just yell at each other. Like, you know, you ran into the forest. Right. <laughs> um, you broke into my house. You yelled at me. You have anger issues. Touche, sir. Thank you for saving my life. Like, <laughs> they have that moment, and it was that little thank you that made the difference. Like, that is the beginning of an actual relationship. And also, some relationships are formed on going through traumatic uh, things like, I don't know, surviving a wolf attack. So, yeah, like, I get where it's coming from, but I also don't exactly agree with that. Gotcha. Uh, um, he should so, let it go earlier. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do, one of the things I did want to point out as far as the animation goes, there's a moment after the transformation when he's back to human again and he says, you know, Belle, it's me. Mm-hmm. And the the expression they capture on her face as she's looking at him, it's like this doubting look at first. I mean, yeah. she literally just saw him transform in front of her eyes. And yeah. she still has this doubting expression on her face that slowly melts from her face. And it's this gorgeous moment of animation. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a really good moment in the movie as well. It's very subtle and I don't know if it was intentional, but like not just accepting things at face value. Like yeah. that's part of being intelligent is questioning what you are told. And she's told, it's me. It's a me. It's a beast. And uh, she's like, really? <laughs> and then like something in the face, in the eyes tells her that, yeah, it is. That's That's who she's looking at. Like, it takes her a moment to get used to it, but questioning things does should should take a moment, and that's what she does here. Yeah. Um, and, and it stays true to her characterization that she's an yeah, intellectual. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. All right. Anything else you wanted to discuss about the movie before we move into the closing credits here? Oh yeah. Like, hang on. Um, I want to talk about the mob scene. Holy crap. Oh. <laughs> which which the mob scene the the one thing I, we, we didn't hit on that i had in my notes is where the hell does the magic mirror come from like this enchantress gives him a, a magic rose but we never hear any backstory on the magic mirror and then when she appears in front of the magic mirror they get upset about the beast but not one of them questions this magic mirror <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
yeah yeah there is there is that uh i i don't know exactly maybe again they were just questioning the face value of like oh it's a mirror it's fine um i i don't know but that mob scene for me is like the perfect demonstration of mob mentality and they capture that so perfectly because things just spiral out of control if you don't know all the facts if you don't understand exactly what is going on and you go based off of there is this thing and it has claws and talons and it will rip you apart and eat your babies. If that's what you're told and you don't question any further because nobody in that mob scene does, they don't question anything. They don't do any of their own. They don't go to Belle like, yo, Belle, where'd you get the mirror from? Like, yo, Belle, what's this? And she made things worse, which, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> she does this a lot, by the way, in the movie. <laughs> like, no, nobody questions anything. So they just go with it. And that allows that paranoia to build until it's the outrage of like, yes, let's kill it. We don't understand it. It's different. Um, and that mentality there is just, until I watched it today, I didn't realize how good of a build up and how good of a setup that scene was, because it really is that mentality just captured in that one song. And it, it is... It is sad. Well, and it that shows is how quickly it, it elevates truth. out of control. I mean, they literally yeah. just saw the beast for the first time, and less than two minutes later, someone saying, they say it's going to come snatch your children out. Who's saying yeah. that? We found <laughs> out about it that? two minutes ago. But it's Literally believable. just that lady. <laughs> it's believable because that's what mobs do. Yeah, exactly. Things like escalate very quickly. One person says it offhandedly as a joke, for example, and then it is blown out of control. And that scene is just that, perfect like demonstration of that just captured in that one song and it's like seeing that today i'm like oh my god that is that is way deeper and i don't know if they intended that to be the thing but holy shit this is what i'm reading into it today um, <laughs> this is what today helen is seeing in this right now <laughs> right right yeah no I, I mean as i said i saw the whole anti-intellectualism thing yeah you know and I, i've seen aspects of it before but i never it never gelled so completely for me so uh, you know, I, I was listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, there was a, a writer in there from from television and she was talking about how the product that that ends up being created is a kind of a, a, a concrete expression of both what the writer intended and how the viewer receives it. So you're saying, you know, I don't know if that's what they intended. Well, that's what you got out of it, though. That's what you're bringing to it. So that is intended, if that makes right. any sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Like you, uh, we're always going to bring our own experiences to things, which is why having lots of different people working on a thing is like really important. And they clearly did for this. That's why there are so many by credits for the story. Right. Um, so many people are credited for this because a lot of people were were involved in it. As a as a random side thing, the reason that uh, "Be Our Guest" was sung to Bell is because one of the kind of storyboard artists went, "That's wrong. We don't don't sing it to her father. Sing it to Bell." And they're like damn that's right yeah because as, <laughs> like, as enjoyable as maurice is he's not a primary character no he's he's not like the character of, of choice the one that we should be paying attention to it's it should be Belle. this movie is about her and her journey um and yeah like yeah the beast is pretty important in it too and he goes through some changes um <laughs> i think one of my favorite things in this movie other than like you could accuse it of like woman goes to domesticate man and then he becomes a, a tolerable human being but I also saw a moment in this movie that made me rethink that today, which was when they're eating, I think it must be porridge or something. And she's like eating it with a spoon, very refined. And he's like, <laughs> like just eating it with his face. And they kind of go in an in-between place. Like she doesn't demand he eats with a spoon. 
she picks up the bowl and so does he. It's an in-between place. So they're learning to adapt and, you know, work together in something to find something that works for them both. And I thought that was just a really sweet, tender moment of like, ah, they're affecting each other. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's move into the closing credits. Got a couple of quick games here for you. Uh, First up is the algorithm says these are movies that are recommended by various algorithms. Uh, They say, (laughs) if you like Beauty and the Beast, you will like these movies. Uh, Much like the last time we did a Disney movie, they are all Disney movies. Because apparently, if if, if you like a Disney movie, that's what else you're going to like. So um, this is like a lightning this is like a lightning round. What do you like? What do you not like? What do you, how the hell is this connected? Again, they're all Disney movies. They're pretty easily connected, but, uh, all right. Yeah. So here we go. The little mermaid. It's okay. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. Not my favorite. It's Ouch. okay. <laughs> like the idea of giving up your singing voice so you can go hang out with a dude. You can't talk to him. And he's supposed to say, I love you. And you're supposed to trick that out of him. Nah, I'm good. Thanks. It's funny, but I'm I'm good, thanks. Okay, I, I guess I haven't take, I haven't looked at it specifically in that regard. Yeah, okay. Um, Aladdin. Oh, I love that movie. That movie is good. Okay, Mulan. That's it. That's it. Mulan. Have I watched that? Oh, that's another movie I haven't seen all the way through. Okay, all right. Um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I loved that as a kid. As an adult, I realized that it's actually a horrifying movie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's not. There are some dark tones in that movie, yo. (laughs) Yeah, well, and also connected because uh, Tony J, who plays Frollo in Hunchback, is the head of the sanitarium in this movie, Uh, and uh David Ogden Steers is in both movies. So, uh huh, yeah. Uh, Pocahontas. I haven't watched it. Ooh, also has David Ogden Steers in it, playing the villain (laughs) in that one. Um, (laughs) it's it's okay. It's okay. I like the, uh, you know, Disney went, we already talked about it with this one, but Disney had a trend where they were releasing the movie with an added song that was originally cut. Yeah. Um, the the cut version or the, the version with the added song is the better version of Pocahontas. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll add that one. So I've, I've listened to some of the songs because it always pops up on the, if I decide to listen to Beauty and the Beast soundtrack, all the <laughs> other ones get piled in too. So I, I know a fair few songs, but I haven't watched that movie. <laughs> okay. Pinocchio. That's one of their older movies, right? Yes, I have seen it all the way through, but I was very little. And I thought it was cute at the time because it was a little puppet and his nose grew. And I thought that was the funniest thing on earth. (laughs) I always loved the part where they got turned into donkeys. (laughs) (laughs) I do not remember that. (laughs) Uh, The Emperor's New Groove. No, I watched it. We did a podcast on that one, so I had to throw that one in the list. Uh, Alice in Wonderland. That is a trip and a half, yo. Um... That the imagery in that is beautiful, and it is definitely one of those movies that if I were ever to smoke anything, I would watch again. Um, <laughs> that was that was that was trippy as hell as a kid, and I know that there were some sequences in there that I don't remember which. I think it may have been when she was crying, got stuck in the bottle, got really tiny. Yeah, I know that scene just made me very sad as a kid. <laughs> All right, uh, the Aristocats. I haven't watched it. It's but they do have France. one of the coolest songs in it though. Everybody wants to be a cat. That's the one. <laughs> yep, that's the one everybody knows from it. Yeah, it's also set in France, so that's its connection to this one, besides being a Disney movie. And then yeah. finally, Disney's Robin Hood. I haven't watched that. Ooh, wow, okay, cool. 
Hey, <laughs> okay, you, we found my list of. Uh, we can just take this section, put it at the beginning of the uh, episode. <laughs> <laughs> where we're like, what movie haven't you watched? Basically, I, all the Disney ones. <laughs> I, no, I've I've had guests where literally everything on the list they had not seen. So you've seen oh, some of them. So we always end with a pop quiz. Four multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? Uh, sure. Hit me. All right. Number one, with time running out on production, the animators used a previous Disney pair for reference for Belle and Beast's dance at the end of the movie. Whose dance is theirs based on? A, I'm going to guess. Oh, okay. I think, I, I think it, it's either Little, Little Mermaid, because I think that was just before or just after, or it was Sleeping Beauty. It was Sleeping Beauty. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they oh, used I love the fact I can hear your sound effects. That's great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they used Aurora and and Philip as the uh, d- dance reference for that. Yeah. Uh, number two, Cogsworth was written with a specific actor in mind, not David Ogden Steers, who was originally intended to voice the clock. A. John Cleese, B. Patrick Stewart, C. Ian McKellen, or D. Lawrence Fishburne. I want to say A. I don't think it was Patrick Stewart, though. <laughs> uh, a. John Cleese. Yep, yeah. it was John Cleese. Uh, he oh, turned yeah, it the down. Standard, like way too big. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Stewart was offered the part, but couldn't do it due to uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. Of course. Uh, yeah. Ian McKellen was considered, and obviously, you know, played it for the live action adaptation. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne wasn't intended for Cogsworth, but he was considered for Beast. So. Oh, okay. That'd All right, number three. Different. Beauty and the Beast often gets mistakenly credited as the first Disney animated film to use computer-generated effects, notable in the iconic ballroom sequence. It's actually the second film to use the technology. What was the first? A, The Little Mermaid, B, The Rescuers Down Under, C, Oliver and Company, or D, The Black Cauldron? I want to say Rescuers Down Under. Wow, you're really on top of this. Yeah, Down Under was the first one to make use of that technology. (laughs) All right, and then number four, I need to change one of these answers, but number four, although never revealed within the movie itself, supplementary material, including the Broadway adaptation, reveals the prince's real name is... A, we'll throw in Steve. (laughs) (laughs) B, Philip. C, Adam. Or D, Eric. I think it's Adam. It is Adam. That's four out of four. So good job. Got it. Uh, All right. I, I have a random question for you. Sure. How many takes did it take for the woman who voices and uh, Mrs. Potts? Yeah. Angela Lansbury, I think it yes. is. How many D- takes Dame, did Dame she... Angela Lansbury? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Dame <laughs> Angela Lansbury. Nailed it. Um, how many takes did she do for uh, Beauty and the Beast? It was one because it was just an off track. It was just like backup in case the main version they actually wanted uh, didn't work out. And then they went, no, we want to use this. Well, she came to them and said, hey, I don't think I can do this. She was the one that said, I don't think I can sing this. I don't think this. I think this is too much for my voice. I don't think I can do it. And they were like, can you give us one take? Just anything. We will take it. And if it's good, we'll play with it. If it's not, then we'll scrap it. And she nailed it and made everyone cry. Gosh, it's it's beautiful. I love her version of the song. And then this she won an Oscar for it. What yeah, the fuck? and this was the first Disney film to have a pop version of yeah. in movie music playing during the end credits. Mm-hmm. Which, yep. but I still prefer her version. Yeah, it is all a right. Beautiful version. Where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, I would like to promote the Lucky Die. Um, you can find them on basically all your social medias by searching The Lucky Die or by typing TLD Pod 
Um, that's my actual play podcast. We're hitting season two some point soon. Hopefully we're announcing this Monday, so hopefully your episode doesn't come out before then. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a dark apocalyptic world using a role-playing system to determine the outcomes of the stupid things that they decide to do. Um, it's funny. It's also dark. It has a lot of horror in it. It also has a lot of comedy and people messing with me a lot um it's definitely worth it and if not go check out the white vault podcast which is like the other thing i do a lot in so that's where you'll find me in all my things fantastic well i as i said i almost skipped the movie and i'm glad i didn't because it's such a glorious disney film it probably it is. is one of my my favorites so thank you for giving me a reason to rewatch it and thank you for a wonderful <laughs> conversation about it yeah you too like this was fun <laughs> All right, so my legitimate favorite line in this movie is a completely offhand comment by Cogsworth. Um, when he's like, when Beast is asking what he should do. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! And I wrote it down because it made me laugh so hard. Oh my God. And it, it is it is that traditional, what should you say or what should you do if you've messed up? Flowers, chocolate, promises you don't intend to keep. <laughs> Which was ad-libbed by David Ogden Steers. The last part of it. it. Was, it's beautiful. It <laughs> it's so good. It is one of those, like, as an adult, you would understand why that's funny. As a kid, I just thought it was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But yeah. no, like, as an adult, that made me laugh so hard. So, yeah, that was that's the only thing I wanted to bring up. <laughs> so that does it for this week. But you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Beauty and the Beast or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess, T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at Have Not Seen This at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, a World of Warcraft podcast, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Hem Cleveland for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. <laughs>